So that's why I would hesitate to reduce happiness to a feeling, but it's more of a, a way of being. For every workout, I do probably about 150 to 200 pull-ups total. What is up, everybody? And welcome back to the Schooling Struggle Podcast. It is our belief that the only guarantee in life is that we are all going to struggle. And that we choose to embrace our struggles is what empowers us to become the best versions of ourselves. What's up, what's up? My name is Pete, coming to you from Vermont. And with me is my friend and co-host, Todd. And our special guest this evening, who, who I'll introduce in one moment before we get into proper introductions. What's up, Todd? What's happening, Peter? How you doing? Oh, man. I'm so fired up for tonight's guest. I'm so excited to have a conversation with Adam Sandell. Adam is a philosopher, an award-winning teacher, and the holder of a Guinness Book of World Records for most pull-ups in one minute. I'm so excited to talk about that. Oh, yeah. And he's um, a critically acclaimed author of more than one book. He's taught at Harvard University, and he is the assistant district attorney in Brooklyn, New York. So with all that said, I want to welcome Adam to the show. What's up, Adam? Well, thanks for having me, Pete. It's great to be on the show. Oh, I'm super excited. I have so many topics and questions for you, but I think I would love to start with what kind of caught my eye as a fitness enthusiast and as the teacher of fitness to uh, high school students. And that is your journey to become the Guinness Book World Record holder of, from what I read, multiple pull-up records. But it seems to be that the one that's most acclaimed is most most pull-ups in one minute. Yes. Well, journey is a good word to describe it because what a lot of people don't know is that I've actually set this record for most pull-ups in a minute and had it broken and then had to set it again four different times from 2000, <laughs> yeah, from 2016. Uh, to 2018, and I've lost the the record for most pull-ups in a minute to a man from China, but I do hold most chest-to-bar pull-ups in a minute, which I was able to get just this past January. So it's a journey is a really good term for it, and it's a journey that's difficult, that involves facing defeat, having to overcome defeat, and to kind of do it again. And it's tough, but in a way... That back and forth is what inspires me. Huh. So throughout that journey, when you were taking the title and then giving it up and then reclaiming it and then giving up, was that to the same person throughout the course of the time or was there multiple people nipping at your heels trying to, trying to take the title away from you? It was actually different people each time. So the first time back in 2016, I, I was able to claim the record from a guy who, who was a U.S. Marine who had held it at 50 pull-ups back then. I got 51. And it's funny how perspective changes because I thought, wow, 51, you know, this is going to, this is going to be tough to, to beat. It was tough for me. And then suddenly it was only like two or three months later that a guy from Italy and then a guy from Bulgaria, both got 54 and 55, I think, uh, consecutively, something like that. Huh. I heard that like to actually get the official Guinness record of anything is this like long process with like submitting uh, an application and then they have certain standards you have to meet as far as like verification and proof or do they have to like send a certified judge out to, to watch you perform? Well, you, you can pay for a judge. And for me, that was too expensive. So you can do it the long way, which is you find your own witnesses and you get two witnesses. You got to set up the camera angles, right? So you also have to have people filming from the side, from the front to make sure the pull-ups 
are according to Guinness World Records standards. And you have the witnesses and then timekeepers sign these forms and you submit that and the video footage in to Guinness World Records and then you wait and it can take weeks, even months sometimes for them to get back to you and and say, hey, you broke the record or I'm sorry you didn't break it, which is actually what happened to me the very first time I attempted any Guinness World Record, which was uh, 2015. And this was for most pull-ups in a minute with a 40-pound backpack, which at the time I thought was the most doable record for me. And I tried, and I thought I had gotten 27, and Guinness World Records said, no dice. The four of those reps didn't count, and sorry, you didn't break the record. Huh. Yeah, so it's not like you can just be having a good day in the gym and whip out your iPhone and film yourself and, and go for it. It's, it's, it's a set-up event on a, a specific day and time that you have to perform. It is. And there's kind of a lot on the line, just in the sense of the people that you rally for this and you don't want to let them down and you don't want to say, hey, can we try it again on some other date? Because there's a lot of machinery that goes into it. Huh. So I'm curious what kind of set you off to chase these records initially. Well, I've always really liked sports and fitness. I guess fitness a little bit later in high school. I didn't really like lifting weights or running, but I loved playing sports. You know, when the coach said, drop and give me 20, I wasn't that thrilled to do it (laughs) or, you know, run a mile. Um, But I love sports. I I played baseball all throughout high school, um, played varsity baseball, played tennis, though not on the school team because the seasons coincided. So I played tennis throughout the winter. And those were kind of my two sports, uh, but I was a fan of many sports, especially baseball and tennis, but I watched basketball and football growing up and I'm still a very big sports fan. So that that's the general background to what became my fitness enthusiasm. And I guess it was college when I started lifting weights, maybe end of high school, actually, just to get stronger for baseball, a very kind of um, instrumental attitude. I wasn't lifting weights for the sake of lifting weights. It was more to be stronger, hit home runs, that sort of thing, because I was always the smallest kid on the baseball team. And I was good, but I I wasn't a power hitter and I wanted to be bigger and stronger. So I started lifting weights. And and then in college, my roommate and I kind of kept going with the weightlifting and kind of got into it for its own sake. Like we wanted to be big and strong and have good looking muscles. So that was the initial motivation going way back. And, uh, you know, gradually one thing led to the next and I got more into weightlifting and stopped playing baseball after my second year in college and just continued to lift weights every day. And fast forward to graduate school, uh, I joined a powerlifting club and then I got really strong. I really learned how to train athletically for the sake of a a goal, really, of um, being as strong as I could for one rep. And that competitive weightlifting environment, I suppose, set set me on the path to pull-ups, which um, which came later. You know, I, I started the, this pull-ups journey a few years ago. And, That's so, uh, so different from the one rep max loads to a body weight for repetitions. Uh, the difference there in the, in the fitness training is, you know, it's quite vast. It is vast. <laughs> and one of the reasons that I turned away from one rep max powerlifting was actually a struggle that I faced, you know, talk about overcoming adversity. I was, I just felt beat up. I was in, my hips were constantly on the brink of injury. 
I was constantly tearing pec muscles doing bench press. And it, it, um, it was frustrating, but it kind of made me step back and reevaluate what I was doing and what I wanted in the long term. So at the time, it was kind of a negative, kind of a disappointment, but it, it set me to thinking, you know, what is your strong suit? What are you really doing with this powerlifting? How sustainable is it? Are you really going to be, you know, one of the best in, in the country or the best in the world? And the answer to that was a resounding no. I mean, I was strong enough for very local competitions placing, you know, third or fourth uh, in my weight class. But it just wasn't, I, I, I said to myself, this isn't what you want for the long term. And then I had this idea to start training more for reps. Actually, a buddy of mine from from college who I studied abroad with, he was a runner. He, he didn't lift weights that much, but he was a runner and he came to visit me. And he said, hey, let's ha- hop on the track and see how fast you can run a mile. And I said, okay, you know, four laps, it doesn't look like that long. And, but I hadn't, I hadn't practiced running and I was a little cocky, you know, from my powerlifting exploits. I said, yeah, I'll, I'll take you on. He strung me along for two laps. And I just remember the third, he absolutely dusted me and finished in like five minutes, 30 seconds. And I was huffing and puffing probably, you know, barely under seven minutes or something. I was in shape still, but not, not in shape to run that fast. And then I said, Adam, you're going you're gonna to change it up. Practice reps, practice well-rounded fitness. That, that would be so cool in the long run to be able to like bench 20 reps, kind of NFL combine style, and also be able to run a five-minute mile. So it was that mindset that led me back to starting to do more reps, including pull-ups. And I discovered I was quite good at pull-ups. And the rest is history. It, it, uh, the, the record itself I learned about through a chance encounter. I was reading the Boston Globe in the summer of 2014, and actually a guy who lived north of me um, named Ron Cooper, who has since become a really good friend and training partner, um, he had broken the record for most pull-ups in a minute with a 40-pound backpack. And, and this was before the Boston Globe had uh, you know all the political things we've seen to report on. And this was a front page below the fold story. And I said, wow, I got to get in touch with this guy. So I just reached out to him and we started training together. He turned out to be a great guy and the rest is history there. We've trained together ever since. And that that's kind of the full, that is the full story of how I became on this pull-ups journey. What I think is really cool and what kind of caught my eye about the whole thing is when I hear or read the headline, Guinness Book of World Records for most pull-ups, I think a, a full-time athlete, a professional athlete, someone who trains for a living and then I read a little bit more to your background and I find out that you're, you're a philosopher and you, you're, you're not a one-act pony here. You, you have multiple things going on in your life, um, you know, deeply intellectual um, and tied in with the fitness training. And I think that was really what caught my eye about your story was you have all these other things going on in your life other than just the fitness piece or just chasing the pull-up record. And I think, and I, I kind of wanted to dig in a little bit about that. Um, and you can share a little bit more about your background outside of your, um, your fitness training. Um, before we go into that, I tend to <laughs> dominate the conversation and I really, really want Todd to, to chime in because his 
depth of reflection is, <laughs> is way deeper than mine. I don't so, know about I, that. I want to encourage Todd to Todd. Do you have anything as far as he don't always have something, Peter? This is yeah, he's, he's always got twenty things. I just I write these scribble these notes down, and so this might seem like rapid fire at him. And if um, if you don't want to answer any of these questions, feel free just say pass or whatever. I'm interested to know um, on the <clears throat> on the chest bar record is that butterfly chest bars or just just strict movements? It's a great question. It's strict. Strict oh, pull-ups. Yeah. That's awesome. Good job. Um, you mentioned um, when you were do- when you were thinking about or you had the idea about um, I can't I don't want to sustain this powerlifting for one rep over time and I'm, you know, bumping up against, you know, my hips hurt and why am I doing this? I wondered um, what is it that you did you want that that like propelled you into considering that change other than I'm just in pain all the time and I'm not going to be the top of the game. Like, was there something further that you were like, oh, this could pull me over here in a positive, a more positive direction to where I can actually have utility in what I'm doing? Yeah, it, it, it was that. It was frustration at first, but then realization that this is actually an opportunity. And looking back on it, I think there's a lesson to be had there because I do remember I wanted to keep going in powerlifting and I was thinking, you know, what can I do to overcome this and to get stronger? But there's also a sense of fighting against your nature. Right? And it's not easy, I I don't think, to distinguish between when you should really push through and forge ahead and say, whatever, it's not a limit how I'm built, you know, what I'm experiencing that's a great attitude to have in many contexts, but then you then ask yourself, well, if I'm encountering these difficulties, could it actually be nature's way of telling me that I need to go in a different direction? And I think being an attentive listener, I guess, to, to nature in that sense, you know, the limitations of one's body is important. And it, 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 showed me that it kind of led me to this idea that I actually didn't want the powerlifting enough, you know, if, and I guess you, you have to have kind of a frame of, of purpose or meaning, um, to get you there. But as I reflected on it, it, it was kind of like going back to my roots. There were a lot of things that I, I missed when I was powerlifting, you know, being outdoors. Um, now I do pull-ups outdoors a lot, run outdoors, um, you know, the freshly cut grass from my baseball days, so yeah. it was it was it was that it was um finding that positive in the injuries which took some reflection in talking to friends yeah cool well that kind of leads me into the second one when you decided to make that shift and it, you kind of touched on it already i think but were there things that you gave up or traded out like oh i know i'm not going to be powerlifting anymore but you you mentioned like oh the the, the nostalgia of the grass or i can go outside and i can you know more connect with kind of maybe what I enjoyed about my, the younger years of my life. But typically we talk about this a lot. Like when, if you make that shift, there's usually something you have to contemplate giving up or, or trading out or, you know, whatever you want to call it. I wonder if there was something else that compelled you as opposed to just, I can use pull-ups as, as a different means to fitness. Yeah, I, I guess it was, um, what can, what compelled me was the, the, like I, I drew com- the competitive spirit still. I still had that in me from the powerlifting. So it wasn't like I was leaving everything behind. Everything I had learned in competing and preparing for game day, so to speak, um, eating right, like all of that I took with me. And even the exercises I took with me, I was still squatting and, and doing bench press, but it was just a different training philosophy. And I just... I loved being active and, and lifting weights. And now I had decided for myself running would be a great way to just 
be active, to enjoy the outdoors, you know, to, to appreciate the world around me in a different way. And it's amazing how sports can do that. You know, like I would, I would be so happy when it started to pour out after I was on a really like on a hot day on a run. I was like, this is awesome. Like rain is going to cool me off or like the wind as you're running around the track confronting it and and also having it behind you when you come around the other bend of the track you you appreciate nature in a different way so it it really um sports can take you into that different zone i guess a more expansive zone where you can really appreciate the world around you in a new way and shift your perspective on things and that motivated me that's cool yeah thanks for sharing i feel the same way about running it's the same thing like oh i gotta run into the wind wait i'm gonna get the benefit on the backside. (laughs) like that's gonna be great Cool. That's I was all like, I got. I was like running in the rain because I feel like yeah. I'm running faster, <laughs> like uh, with with the pelts hitting me in the face or looking at the rain and seeing it kind of like whisk past. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm running twice as fast as I normally do when it's not raining. Twice. At least twice has to. Be. <laughs> Adam, how old were you when you set the record for the first time? Gosh, let me think. It was uh, 2015, so uh, I guess I was 29. Okay, and kind of getting to the. The question that I had uh, prior, what else did you have going on in your life at the time other than your pull-up pursuit? At that time, I was teaching. I was teaching philosophy at Harvard to undergraduate students. Um, This was a postdoc gig um, after graduate school. And so I I was really engaged quite thoroughly in these two activities. I was teaching mostly seminars, small, small classes in philosophy. And, um, I was doing the pull-ups and I was writing. I was, um, at that time really formulating ideas for what, what became the book that I just published in the very early stages, formulating ideas. But my days were dominated by, by those activities. Um, maybe, maybe dominated is the wrong word, but, but filled in a good way by those activities. Um, and I kind of, as I, as I pursued both, I started to see how they intersected in some interesting ways. Yeah. So when I was reading about the book that uh, recently came out called happiness in action, a philosopher's guide to the good life. I read Adam, a young philosopher and Guinness book world record holder in pull-ups argues that the key to happiness is not goal driven striving, but forging a life that integrates self-possession, friendship, and engagement with nature. So I'm curious to know your thoughts and perspectives on on that with tying in your fitness and your philosophy to live a life um, or to pursue a life chasing that that fulfillment. The premise of our entire show here is that we're all kind of dealing or navigating with different struggles in our lives. And in pursuing that fulfillment um, that, w- that was mentioned, for me, I loved how it said... Um, that the book focuses on the struggle with the tension between goal-oriented striving and the embrace of life as a journey. And that is so pertinent to me in my life in, in many regards. And I think the easiest way to, to explain that to people is to say, an elite athlete, which I am not, an elite athlete needs <laughs> to have a certain lifestyle to pursue their current athletic pursuits. But a life of vitality for the long run is different than that. So, you know, the lifestyle, the eating, the training, all those things that go into being a high-level athlete now are not completely in line with 
what is recommended by science to have a life of health and wellness. It was really interesting for me to read that, the struggle with the tension between goal-oriented striving and the embrace of life. So I feel like I have all these things going on in my life right now that I'm trying to achieve I, and with, with work and with parenting and with being a spouse and with my fitness and maintaining my house and all these things, these goals that I'm trying to achieve. But at the same time, I am trying to embrace a life as a journey. And I, and I really, really struggle with that balance. And that was where I, where I really wanted to kind of focus the conversation as I read about your book. Well, you've really touched upon the heart of my book and what I try to express. And I, I think pull-ups is actually a really good example of this. At least it's, a, it's an example that's personal to me and that's led me to really think about this distinction between pursuing a goal and appreciating an activity for its own sake, that regardless of the results, you would still do it. And pull-ups is so interesting because on the one hand, it's very goal-oriented. You're trying to get more. And in my case, I'm trying to set the record or reclaim the record. So I've got a very distinct goal in mind. But it's also very easy to get too wrapped up in your goals and start kicking yourself for not being close enough to your goals and putting all this pressure on yourself that can be very damaging to your, to your sense of self. I love this. Yeah, yeah, it's something we all experience. It doesn't matter if you're you're into sports. It, it's it's anything. You know, it could be um, playing a musical instrument or writing a book or working as an electrician. You know, where your goal is to get the lights to work. I mean, literally everything we do can be described in some sense in terms of a goal that you're trying to reach. But I I think that when we get too hung up on the goal. It can be damaging. And what we lose is an appreciation for the activity itself, whether the result is good or bad, success or failure. And here again, I pull-ups for me at least are a, a powerful example because there's something that I really love about doing pull-ups, about being in the midst of a really hard training set where nobody's watching and I'm not breaking any records. It's just an ordinary day of training. Uh, especially those days when I'm training with someone else, like my training partner Ron, um, and we're just we're just working hard and we're um, riffing off of each other and bucking each other up after tough sets. And there there's something quite joyful in that struggle, regardless of whether we complete a certain number of pull ups or not. That's kind of secondary, but just the being in the midst of the activity, kind of being in the zone, being in the flow of it, and having a certain connection with the surroundings, not only each other as friends, as training partners, but even with the pull-ups bar and the forces of gravity that pull you down and you know you think are kind of this opponent to, to your will to, to pull yourself up, but then you realize, no, Gravity and my own power are working together because without gravity, I couldn't dig into the bar with my fingers and you know get that strong grip and rebound up. So there's this kind of unity of your own activity and the forces of nature where you kind of understand yourself as at one with the world in a really cool way. So that engagement with nature, as I call it in the book, friendship for sure. And friendship, by the way, among competitors too. My training partner and I compete sometimes for the same records. 
And I think that some of the best friendships can be forged out of that context of competition. So the friendships you take away, the engagement with nature, also just the sense of self, understanding yourself as capable in a certain way, and and not just capable to do a certain number of reps, but capable in this deeper sense of being at, at one with nature and being able to be a friend, to support somebody else, to motivate them, um, and being finding your own voice too. I, I think in the context of training, encouraging training partners, um, finding the right words and the right situation to motivate, that's something you carry with you wherever you go. So that's what I mean by, by the activity itself apart from the goal. I did have a question. And that was so awesome the way the way that you shared that, and I do not miss a book reference. So it'll be. Is there an audible version? I hope. Uh, I'm going to work on that. Okay. <laughs> um, all of those things. I wonder. Correct me if I'm wrong, but what I heard in there was all of these different nuances of what it is that you enjoy about what it is you do. In your case, it's the pull ups, or it's it's the it's the pursuit of that thing, and all the different attributes that are in it. Your friends, the competition, the camaraderie, the culture. You know, you have an, a, an awareness of you know gravity and all these things that help you achieve what you're doing or or add richness to those events. I wonder, are you only aware of those things because of your background? Because it, it, it sounds like highly philosophical, right? Like, oh, these are all great attributes for me to think about. But if if there's somebody like me, I never think about that. But then when I get to the gym, I still experience the same thing. So I wonder if there's a, a way that you could it, it, like distill that down into, you know, here's where you here's the things that you can find and the way to look at it when you get to the place where you find something enjoyable. Or does it? Or is it the other that it's enjoyable because all those things exist there? That's a great question. And. My answer is that I think it works in both directions, and it's kind of hard to separate one from the other. The philosophy that I've studied and taught definitely gives me a framework on life. For example, studying Aristotle, one philosopher that I've read a lot, taught, written about, alerted me to this distinction between activity for the sake of a goal and activity for the sake of itself. So I got that framework from him, but when I got that framework, it wasn't like he was telling me something entirely new because there were points of reference in my life that made that abstract philosophical point concrete. And then as you think about it more than when you encounter things in the future or when I embarked upon this pull-ups journey, it made me think back to Aristotle and, and say, oh, you know, now I get what Aristotle means. I get it on a deeper level through this experience of pull-ups and understanding why I care so much about this. And that reflection kind of happens naturally, I would say, in the course of everyday life. So for example, you are you set a record and you're thrilled about it, but a couple of days later, that feeling of elation starts to slip away and you ask yourself, well, what now? What can I take from this experience that's going to last, that I'm going to carry with me forward? Because a number is just a number. And to the extent that the activity moves you, you want to th- you want to carry something of it with you. And that's when I started thinking, you know, it's really the activity for the sake of itself. Yeah, Aristotle has a point. So you know what I mean? It kind of is yeah. a multi-directional thing. Yeah, that's beautiful. I'm so glad I'm so glad you could articulate that because it's so hard like that's the hardest part I think that people it's hard to remember for me myself like it's hard to remember like those wins or those recounts and then you come back to it and you're like oh that's right like I remember and it's almost like building on top of it or or 
like the seed is planted a long time ago and then it just gets another boost of nourishment. And then you're like, man, these are really cool. And then I can go into something. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I'm curious to know when you're in a pursuit of something like your, your pull up goal, how do you balance or what ends up getting put on the back burner as a result of your achievements, either intentionally or unintentionally? That's, that's a good question. Well, to, to be very concrete about it, when I started law school, my first year, when I was really going for these records, to be honest, law school kind of went on the back burner. And I don't know that that's the, the message that I want to blast for high school kids. But you know what? I, I think there's some truth in it. Like, like school's important. Don't, don't get me wrong. But um, if you have a passion, if you're motivated, you, you've got to go for it. And if that moves you, by all means, do do what you've got to do to pursue it. And I think, um, you know, I think school in a kind of, especially high school and college, a liberal arts education, studying literature, history, philosophy can teach us a lot of important lessons for life. Law school, that comes later on and it's kind of more technical. And I felt a little better putting that one on the back burner, to be honest. But I, I think some of my classmates were a little shocked when they found out that Instead of studying for final exams, my first semester, I was off in Florida for this fitness expo trying to set a Guinness World Record. That's great. I, the one thing I would add is, is at least for me, and I, I think this this applies more generally, is you got to have a frame of meaning in your life. And I go back to friendship, family, um, self-possession in the sense of knowing yourself, reflecting upon yourself, standing up for yourself. Those aren't things in my mind that are negotiable. So to the extent that a pursuit like pull-ups is consistent with those qualities of character, I I go for it. But to the extent it starts crowding it out, and I think this gets back to becoming obsessed with the goal aspect of it, the record aspect of it, that that's when I would start reining myself in. Have there been no- moments where you where you had that obsession? You had to overcome that? Absolutely. I'd be turning pages of a book and I'd see like page 60 and I'd be like 60 pull-ups. You know, I was like, (laughs) (laughs) I got to get to 60. Uh, So in those, in those points, then like when you realize that you're approaching, you know, this, whatever you want, obsession or, you know, over, overly passionate area about it, are there, are there methods you pull back? You're like, okay, it's just a book. I'm reading it's 60 pages. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think it's, it's just in those moments when you catch yourself just trying to switch gears and do something different, you know, give your brother a call or go hang out with your girlfriend or wife and do something nice and just try to forget about it for a little while. And it kind of resets you and reminds you of what matters. Um, that That's my, my experience. And I think, you know, I think a lot of it too has to do with things surrounding the pull-ups, like the social media and and getting obsessed with like digging around on Instagram or YouTube for pull-ups videos or your rivals and kind of getting into it in a way where you're attached to the screen. And I, I think that especially is kind of, it get it becomes pointless after a while and you go down rabbit holes, at least I do sometimes. And that's the, that's when I feel it kind of getting to me where I have to say enough is enough. You know, this, this is quite far from what I was describing before of loving the activity inside those two hours that I'm like in the midst of the workout. So do you, do you feel more fulfillment through your physical training when you are 
exactly doing that training for something like we talk about the difference between exercise and training is exercise is movement that makes you feel good and prepares you for life whereas training is you are preparing for to perform at a at a certain event and are you more fulfilled in your exercise or your training when you're preparing for an event or are you cool just doing what you love without always chasing the goal the second i i think I go through a lot of phases when I'm training intensely for a Guinness World Record, like I was last winter. It's it's a it's a cool experience, and I get into it. And there are sacrifices that I make that I think are reasonable sacrifices and and good ones, and that aren't easy. I uh, like early wake ups. You know, getting up at six a.m. to to work out before the workday starts because if you're serious about it, you can't leave it to chance at the end of the day. You know, you might be caught late at work. Um, you might not have the same energy. So first thing in the morning, uh, um, watching what you eat more. Um, all of that is a sacrifice, but to my mind it's worth it. And it is I'd be lying if I said it wasn't motivated by the goal of setting a record. So there's, there's no problem with setting goals. Goals can be inspiring, of course. Um, but yeah, in terms of fulfilled in a larger life sense, I would say that I'm equally fulfilled when I'm not training for a record like now where I'm really just having fun on the bar and not even counting my reps and, uh, just doing other things with my workout, like experimenting with different grips and different technique with, just for the fun of it, messing around, you know, seeing what works, what doesn't, trying to teach a little bit, share whatever knowledge I have, make some videos. I've been getting into that a little more. So that's equally fulfilling in a different way. Do you have anything on the horizon or anything in the back of your mind that you are chasing or want to chase in the in the future? Tip your head. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I, I want to get the record back for most pull-ups in a minute. So uh, last I saw, I thought you, you performed 68 in a minute. Yes. And what's the, what's the record now? 74. Oh, 74. Strict pull-ups? Strict pull-ups. Now, you can take as wide a grip as you want, and that's a competitive edge. If you can get your arms out wider and shorten the range of motion, it helps to get a lot in in a short amount of time, but it's actually a weaker grip. So there's there's a bit of a trade off, but it's it's advantageous to do it that way. But um, yeah, strict pull ups. Yeah, yeah. So is the standard straight arms at the bottom touch the chin to the bar at the top? Exactly. Just the the tip of the chin's got to clear the bar, but you you know you can lift your neck and and get it over. And this is probably a loaded question with a really long answer, and you can answer it however you like, but. As, as a fitness nerd, I'm just curious to know what the training for that looks like. Is it a ramp up phase or a volume phase or how, how do you kind of approach that? Like a year out, you start prepping for that or what's, what's, the, what's the approach? A year is a little bit long. I would say that I'm, I'm always working out about anywhere from four to six days a week. So I'm always ready to start a more intense training phase. 12 weeks, roughly is what I give myself. And exactly as you say, that'll be a ramp up, gradual ramp up from the first four weeks, let's say, will be just getting in the flow, not failing reps at the end of sets. For every workout, I do probably about 150 to 200 pull-ups total for the workout broken into sets. And how long of a time frame is that from when you start to finish? 
about 90 minutes to two hours, depending on how heavy I'm going. Interesting. So you do weighted, you do weighted reps probably, right? Yes. Actually, most of the reps are either weighted reps or pulling high, pulling chest to bar. And then at the end, I throw in usually some higher volume, regular pull-ups. So at the beginning of the workout would be lower reps, higher weight, and then move to some body weight pull-ups toward the end of the workout. It's amazing. How often throughout that 12-week training block will you actually test the max reps in one minute? I never do until the very end of the training phase, once or go twice. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Go time, like mm-hmm. like two times at maybe 95% effort, um, saving a little bit yeah. for the actual event. <laughs> what do I got left? I don't know. We'll find out on the day. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Peter, I don't feel like you would like, you don't, you wouldn't like that training regimen. <laughs> Peter would go. Peter would go above the reps just for fun, and they'd be like, "I don't know if I could do it tomorrow." <laughs> it's just the way you are. <laughs> I had a goal to to run a sub eighteen and a half five kit at one point in my thirties, and my wife was like, "You know, you can't just go out and run your fastest five k every single day for months on end as you're training." I was like, "Oh, you can't. That, that, that's what you're supposed to do." <laughs> so, yeah. Some of the other background that I read about the book that you uh, recently put out, which is like I said, happiness in action. It says that um, you argue that finding fulfillment is not about attaining happiness conceived as a state of mind or even about accomplishing one's greatest goals. Instead, true happiness comes from immersing oneself in an activity that is intrinsically rewarding. We've talked a lot about the pull-ups. The source of meaning, he suggests, derives from the integrity of wholeness of self as we forge through the journey of life. Would you mind just sharing with us your perspective on that statement, the wholeness of self? Well, for me, wholeness means that when you're doing one activity, on some level, you understand it as connecting to other activities in your life. And the connectedness of what you do is what I mean by the whole. So take being a teacher. Um, there, There's a lot that you do in the classroom, but there are also, I would say, qualities of character that you develop as a teacher, being a good listener, being able, being able to answer tough questions that are simple questions, but ones that are actually so simple and basic that they're very hard to answer that, that students will ask, um, really of, of all ages, but even young kids will ask that are really quite profound questions when you get down to it and that challenge you. And those qualities of character as a teacher go beyond the classroom. So they reach out into a whole, into the whole way of life that you're immersed in. So maybe later that day, you're driving home and you're cut off in traffic and you're frustrated, obviously, but you, you draw upon your demeanor as a teacher and you think, well, wait a minute, that, you know, who knows what's going on in that guy's life? Um, Just as you might think about a student who acts up in class. And there you see how the activity of being a teacher isn't just confined to the classroom, but it reaches out into what I call a whole, a connected variety of activities that really constitute you as the person that you are, that speak to a narrative that is open-ended and that's ongoing, that's a journey. I love that. That is awesome. So cool. Thanks for using the... uh... Teacher example makes it easier for me to <laughs> grasp and digest. What do you got there, Todd? There was a guy on Survivor, I think his name's Jonathan, who did uh, who had the record for the most pull-ups with 100 pounds on his back. 
are there like different tiers? So is it like the most 55, the most 60, the most 75, or is it just whatever audacious goal you want to come with, then you could go for it completely unrelated to what we talk about? <laughs> well, it's a good question. There are established records at certain increments, how yeah. those are determined. I don't really know, but the current increments for pull-ups are the regular pull-ups with your own body weight, plus 40, plus 60, plus 80, and plus 100. And then there's a one rep max pull-up for all of the, you know, how much weight can you have hanging off of a belt and do one? That's wild. It's just so crazy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go so deep in researching that. It's going to be nuts. And then there's chest bars, obviously. They probably do muscle-ups too, right? Yeah, the muscle-ups record I was thinking about pursuing for a while, and now it's something insane, like in the mid-30s consecutive. Yeah. So you can't yeah. even pause more than, I think, two or three seconds up at the top. Interesting. That's cool. My high school soccer coach was from Ghana, and I never saw him without ankle weights on. But he, at the time, was the world record holder for the fastest 100-yard dash running backwards. <laughs> okay. There, yeah. See? Weird things. Yeah. Anything else that you wanted to touch upon or bring to the conversation? I, I think we've we've covered so much great ground. I, I suppose, um, you know, if I, from my experience growing up and and being a teacher and thinking about these ideas we've discussed, I guess um, what I would say is that one of the most important things in appreciating the activity for the sake of itself is friendship and to uh, to value friendships. I think it's a very important thing in life and, and something that's actually quite rare when we speak of genuine friendships. You know, we we measure friendship in a lot of ways, you know, like how many friends we have on social media, but those aren't real friends. And we all kind of know that, but, uh, you know, thinking about friendship in a non-instrumental sense and just hanging out for the sake of hanging out and having each other's back and, and sharing a history together and sharing life experiences together, I think is so important. And I, I think as you get older and I, I feel this in myself, you get so immersed in particular goals associated with a career and whatnot that you really have to make an effort to make time for friends and it's, it's easy to make a lot of allies, ally meaning somebody who's willing to help you out with a particular project or goal. And, and it's good to have allies, but an ally isn't necessarily a friend. They, they're only an ally to the extent that you're working on something together with them. They could also be a friend. You could develop a friendship with them. But I think friendships in, in the, the kind of genuine and in highest sense tend to get crowded out sometimes as we get older and you know just to students to high school students i would say you know hold on to your friends and uh and uh don't forget to be good friends i think it's an important thing and it's not an easy thing so good what you're talking about friendship just made me think of a a saying i once heard was if you want good neighbors be a good neighbor you could say the same about friendship right if you want good friends be a good friend and I think that that's something that I need to remind myself of often because it's easy to have the allies. And the, the last thing I'll say about friendship, and this is a really interesting thing that I found myself thinking about fairly recently. I'm, I'm so fortunate in that I have a myriad of lifelong friendships. Three of my current best friends were in my preschool class. And uh, I have some amazing friendship forged in elementary and middle school that are still very, very 
prevalent and integral in my life. And I think it's really fascinating as a kid, and I'm the parent of a seven-year-old right now. As a kid, you play with kids and you forge friendships because you enjoy playing with them and forging friendships. You're not going, well, this is going to be an investment in the most magical thing that could transpire in the course of my life in my 40s. But that's exactly what it is, you know, other than my marriage, which is a friendship. It's this thing that I did because it just felt good at the time as a kid. And it really emerged into this. I, I really can't put into words the, the power and the way that I value my, my friends. I think oftentimes we do something knowing that we're investing in something down the road. But for friendship, for me, it's, it's, it's never been that. It's, I enjoy spending time and attention with this person now. And then the payoff down the road was completely unexpected. And it's just a really, really, the only way I can really describe it as magical, but a really fascinating thing for me to think about. So I appreciate you bringing up the, the friendship piece. That's huge. I had a friend, I've had, I had this friend I had for, geez, since I was in elementary school, I guess. And we were always friends and always close for a very long time. And I remember one time I was talking to him and he moved somewhere else and, you know, we kind of lost, we kind of drifted, like you said. And he said, you know, we're not, we're not really friends anymore. We're, we're just more of acquaintances. And I thought, what a terrible thing to tell somebody. But it, but it's true. Like you drift and then, be, and then it becomes an allyship. Like you only call him when you want something or, you know, more, of, more often than not, that's usually what it is. They can still be friends, but they know that, you know, that there's like something you're hoping to glean from their relationship and it's usually of utility. That's, that's pretty awesome. I have, I have one more thing that popped into my mind because you were talking about happiness and I don't often get to speak to um, Harvard philosophy teachers, so I, I feel like I'll run this one past you. I heard it in a book, and I can't remember where it came, but I'll try to put it in the show notes. The statement goes, uh, happiness isn't something one finds, but rather a state of being. Is that something that, that you agree with? I would say a way of acting or a way of being. Um, state of being comes close, but I, I think that happiness really has to do with the, the meaning of your actions and the sense in which you can tell yourself a compelling story that's motivating and inspiring. Uh, because when we define happiness simply as a feeling, you know, kind of feeling content or tranquil or at ease, we, we miss the way in which happiness actually involves overcoming hardship. And if you think about it, we're always in some sense overcoming hardship. I mean, there, there are extreme cases that are visible and that we think of when we think of hardship, you know, death, destruction, personal crisis, and those are instructive moments. We can learn a lot from them. But actually, everyday life, when we're doing what we do in the most meaningful sense, and we often don't even notice it so much, like having a conversation with someone, there is a process of struggling to to overcome the difference between one person and another and trying to enter that person's perspective and understand what they mean and you know reflect back on your own life and in that process i do see struggle and overcoming and i think that a life that is happy is a life that involves meaningful struggles and ones that fit into a narrative that you can own up to and and take pride in and that that inspires you. So that's why I would hesitate to reduce happiness to a feeling, um, but it's more of a, a way of being. A state of being comes close, but I, I like the the active character, the active sense of um, a way of being. A way is like a, like a path, um, being on a journey. That's awesome. Thank you. 
What a great conversation. (laughs) I've taken a lot from this one. So thanks. Thanks, Adam, a lot. Uh, So cool. So cool, Adam. Yeah, well, if I may just have a a final word here, you've inspired me. It's a beautiful example about your friends going all the way back. And I would extend that to teachers in my own life. Now, I've been in school way too long, some would say. (laughs) And from from my days of, of kindergarten to high school to college to graduate school to law school, I mean, it's too much school. But I have had a fair sample size of teachers throughout that period. And I will say, when you're young, you think of school as a step, you know, one grade to the next, and it's going to eventually lead to high school and college and get a job. And it's it's kind of this instrumental, goal-oriented outlook to it. And again, there's something to that, but I think what's lost is is really the intrinsic value of an education and really learning about yourself and growing in a way that stays with you and continues to motivate you and that isn't over and that isn't just to get you something like a job, but really affects you as a person. Wow. Yeah. Reminds me of that video, Alan Watts video I sent you the other day. (laughs) Todd's a big Alan Watts fan. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your perspectives with us. It's really powerful to hear the way that you take on your challenges and your struggles and turn them into some really, really cool things that are happening in your life, whether it's pull-ups or writing a book or finding deep, meaningful friendships. It's all really, really cool. That was pretty awesome, Adam. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be on the show. Thank you so much. With that said, to all of our listeners, we appreciate your ears. We thank you for your time. We're incredibly grateful for your attention. We are the School and Struggle Podcast with Adam Sandell. We are out. See ya. Thank you.